So, to begin, first of all, a very warm welcome to you all. And I'm sure in some sort of a universal marking system, you all get merit points for actually having managed to get here. Your perseverance in that, much to be applauded. So, for those of you who don't know us, uh, this is Chris. My name is Christina, this is Jenny, and Rob. And, yes, welcome. So now you've made it this far. (laughs) There are still one or two other steps to, I think, important to consider at the beginning of a retreat. When the Buddha would often give initial instructions in the practice and on this path. He would often begin with the encouragement to disentangle from the world and to establish oneself in mindfulness and in solitude. And personally, I always think these are very kind of helpful words to reflect on in the beginning of a retreat. What does it mean to disentangle from the world? What does it mean to establish oneself in mindfulness and in solitude? So many nuances in those words. And then there's a very big difference, obviously, to mention. There's a very big difference between the word disentangle and the words push away or disconnect. Because you will find as you begin this retreat that, of course, your life follows you onto your meditation cushion. Your life will follow you into your walking path. Why would it not? You all have a life before you began this retreat that you came from and a life that you're going back to. So what does it, but your life in the sense of the way that it follows you onto this retreat is clearly much more in the form of thought. Remembering, planning, imagining, regretting, anticipating, So to disentangle does not mean to entertain some idea of pushing all of that away as if it has no place. But really the path is to find in the midst of this life, including the life of our minds, the life of our hearts, what it means to to be able to simplify and to to put down some of the emotional, the psychological habits of dwelling, of clinging, of comparing, of regretting, to know it is as it is in this moment. How to respond to the world as it is, as it arises, with kindness, with compassion, with care, but without being lost, without being lost. So learning to disentangle, I think this is really, in a meditative sense, a moment-to-moment process of softening the identification 
softening the habits of obsession, the habits of holding, allowing thoughts, feelings, sounds, sights to arise and pass and to take their place. To establish ourselves in mindfulness, this is a big step. We have to think of what the opposite of mindfulness is. Heedlessness, forgetfulness, a kind of dissociation, disconnection. So we're learning here in this practice, in this path, what it really means to make our home in mindfulness as a moment-to-moment way of being engaged with our lives, both inwardly and outwardly. Mindfulness is something much more than just paying attention. Mindfulness involves curiosity, investigation, involves attitudes of kindness, of compassion, involves a willingness to welcome what appears, what arises, and to establish ourselves in solitude. That might sound strange as you sit here in a room of 60-odd people. What does it mean to establish yourself in solitude? Certainly when the Buddha talked about solitude, he didn't just talk about retreating to caves or uh, disconnecting from the world, pushing life away. The solitude that he spoke about is much more about the the kind of inner refuge, the inner reliance, the way to take our seat inwardly in simplicity and clarity and mindfulness, in not always leaning, not always in a sense seeking from the world or from the world of things and people what we feel somehow to be missing or lacking in ourselves. I think these guidelines around disentangling from the world, around establishing ourselves in mindfulness and solitude, are likely to be probably for many, perhaps for all here, an ongoing investigation during this retreat. But I think if there are instructions to actually keep very central in our hearts and in our minds, I think it is some of these primary instructions that the Buddha offered. (coughs) For me, part of the great genius of the Buddha some 2,600 years ago was actually to build upon that which somehow intuitively we already know or all have already glimpsed in our lives. When you listen to this teaching and all that it speaks about our own possibilities as human beings, our capacity for peace, for understanding, for compassion, for care, for appreciation, for wakefulness, when we hear the teaching of all of these possibilities, I think it has a very... Um, It has an echo within us because at some point in our life all of us will have had glimpses of these qualities and these possibilities. We know the taste of peace. We know the taste of compassion 
and appreciation and kindness. We know actually what it feels like to be very wakeful in our lives. We also know what it is for those moments somehow to just become submerged by more familiar flows of heedlessness or forgetfulness or chaos or agitation. And what the Buddha, of course, suggested is that these, these qualities, they don't need to be um, accidental encounters. That these are the qualities we cultivate, we train, we bring into being, we consciously and intentionally cultivate in our lives and certainly in our practice. And in many ways, this is, it is the heart, it is the dedication of this path to actually bring to fruition all that is possible for us as human beings, to be awake, to rest within an enduring and more unshakable compassion and kindness and mindfulness and equanimity. But it is also a path. This is a path. And we cultivate it in the midst of the opposites of many of these qualities. We cultivate this path in the midst of agitation, in the midst of forgetfulness, in the midst of aversion or resistance. This is actually where the path really begins to find its roots that we nurture and that we care for. So I truly wish you a very rewarding and rich few days here and uh, hope we'll come to actually meet most of you over these days. I'd also like to welcome you very warmly to this retreat. A retreat is such an unusual opportunity to experience and and indeed to practice this solitude of which Christina spoke within community. Uh, And just as we start together, and if you like, we create uh, this community uh, that's going to be our support (laughs) and our context, the context for our practice over the next few days, really encourage you to just get a sense of the other people who are here uh, and really to to open to the sense of support that we can give each other. We can give each other by our shared commitment to practicing these teachings, to investigating, to cultivating a heart of kindness, of appreciation, of goodwill as Christina has spoken about. And really to let this sense of community be very present for you as you go through these days practicing solitude in its midst. And it's an interesting exploration, isn't it? What helps us to arrive at the start of a retreat? You know, you can even just in this moment be... Exploring that. It really is a shift of mode, isn't it? From uh, uh, a way of, of, of uh, 
being concerned with doing and having and getting and and certainly anybody who's come from a, a family Christmas may have quite a sense of having been in doing mode over the last few days. And actually what is it to explore a different mode, a mode of being, if you like, which is more about resting and opening and really being present in the body and in the heart and cultivating that connection moment by moment. And it's such a help in this really to simplify. It's a rare thing to have the opportunity to do just one thing at a time. And a retreat provides that. So really inviting you during these days to let your, your pace of life really slow down. Particularly if you've come from some busy days. To savour being present for what you're doing where you are, what you're experiencing moment by moment. And there's a simplifying not only of activity, but also of intention. Really, the the basic intentions of being present of being present with a sense of kindness. Kindness towards our own experience, kindness towards those with whom we're sharing this space. And a sense of curiosity, investigation, questioning, really exploring, what is this? What is this experience that I'm in the midst of? And the body is such an ally, is such an ally in this practice. And, and particularly perhaps as we arrive this evening, just to, to let the intention to inhabit the sense of the body as it sits here and breathes. To keep coming back to that embodied presence which is really the, the meditator's craft. And to let it support you through these days. Let it be the arena for your mindfulness, for your kindness, for this deep questioning and exploration. And so, as... This evening as you really allow yourself to settle in this good and safe and supported and kindly place, really encourage you to uh, practice simplifying activity, simplifying intention, really, if you like, Letting that simplifying be 
integral to the gift that you're giving yourself by coming on retreat. Okay, so uh, I'm Jenny, and just really again to welcome everybody. Uh, when you live down here in the in the sticks, you you hear all these things on the news and photographs of railway lines being washed away, and just really wondered how many people would would get here. So it's delightful that maybe it wasn't as bad as you know I think. Um, but some of you I know have had very long journeys, so so welcome. So I want to say a little about um, one particular aspect really of the the quality of simplicity and the quality of untangling ourselves from from the life that we we come from and bring with us and go back to, but to give ourselves a a support in investigating our experience, in practicing mindfulness and meditation. And that is the quality of silence. The, um, the aspect of retreats at Gaia House, which I know many of you are very familiar with, which can both be an immense sense of relief, and, and some of you have probably come feeling, oh, the silence, yes, really looking forward to it. And it can be challenging, especially if it's a little unfamiliar. And it seems to me that as the years go by, this might just be a sign of getting older, and the past always looks a bit rosier, but it just feels like the world gets more and more noisy. And I don't mean in terms of literal noise, but in terms of information, the information age, they call it. We're bombarded with communication of all different kinds in media. And it makes silence both particularly important, I think, particularly precious, and sometimes particularly difficult and and unfamiliar. So I would really invite you to see this as a a rare opportunity and and something precious, a gift even, rather than, oh, it's one of the rules that we have to to be silenced. This is really offered as a support for for practice. In in this tradition, in the Buddhist tradition, meditation practice is, is... generally seen as having two two facets or two wings really. One is to bring the mind into a degree of stillness and, and calmness and the other is to see clearly, to develop a clarity of seeing, inquiring into our habitual tendencies that can free us from suffering. And so both of these aspects, the, the stilling, calming the mind and clarity are really supported by cutting down all the, um, the information that we're being bombarded with in various ways. So particularly silence here um, is about not communicating, not talking, except as necessary. I'll say a little bit more about that. But what we're offering really is a different way to be with others. Being in a large group in silence is quite different from being on your own. There's a different kind of uh, level of, of mutual support. It's, it's still a, a collective activity, but without that communication. So it's a chance to drop all our concerns with image, with what impression you're making, um, 
with having to engage in witty repartee or whatever it might be, or, or feeling shy or feeling <coughs> any concern about how you're coming across to people, which can be a great relief. And it's also an invitation not to escape into conversation or communication when things get a little challenging. So that whatever is arising, mental states, experiences, emotions, can be really fully experienced, investigated, inquired into. And then you can start to see the conditions under which they arise and pass, where we so often just interrupt our flow of of mental states with conversation, communication. So, um, I really invite you just to check this out. This can really support you in taking your practice deeper. And if, if if you don't already feel absolutely convinced of that, just to really notice what it's like to be in silence, even if it really goes against the grain even if it feels quite an effort at times, particularly because it's so mutually helpful. This is something we do together. So your keeping the silence supports everybody else and and vice versa. So to be more specific, um, I think the coordinators have probably already talked about the, the system of notes that we have here. So, And of course, in an emergency, you know, if you see a fire... Forget all this, shout fire, or you know, do whatever you need to do, um, sound the alarm. But in all other respects, communicate by notes. So notes to the coordinators or to the teachers. And we inv- request that you don't send notes to each other. If there's someone you're concerned about, let one of the teachers or one of the coordinators know. So that you're really giving each other that space of not being drawn into any communication that you're not um, initiating, really, or choosing. And this isn't just, uh, silence isn't just the absence of of speech. Uh, And I think, again, it becomes more and more challenging, really, perhaps, as, as the different ways that we have to communicate get more and more complex. So this is an opportunity to turn off your mobile phone, to not text anyone, to not go on the internet. And you may not even be able to get a reception, which is an advantage, but I would invite you not even to, to check that out, just to turn it off. If it feels that it will be too tempting, the coordinators are very happy to look after your mobile phones. They'll guard them carefully and give them back at the end. If there are family or friends who don't quite realize that you've come to somewhere that you will be incommunicado for five days, you'll be out of communication. You may need to clarify that with them. So just this evening, if there are any loose ends that need to be tied up, uh, please do that this evening. If there's someone you need to text or call and just say, I won't actually be in touch. And to make sure that the people who need to have Gaia House's phone number in case they need to contact you. And there is an emergency number, so if if anyone needs to contact you, they will be able to get through as long as they they have Guy House's number. Uh, And if there's any problem with that for any of you, just please let us know and we can work out some, some arrangement if there's some particular issue in your life. But again, really 
like to invite you to see this as, as an opportunity and even, you know, it might be a bit of an experiment. What's it like to actually turn, you know, even an iPhone does have an off button. They turn it off for six days and see what happens. It might be that when you turn it on again, after you go home, there's slightly less sense of compulsion around it. If you're like that, I know I am a little. Um, so, so just really um, disentangling from that whole arena of communication. And another thing that can support silence is to practice a degree of renunciation of reading and writing. I'm, I'm not, it's not absolute, um, but if somebody gave you the latest Booker Prize winner for Christmas, it's about this thick, I believe, just to leave it at the bottom of your, your suitcase. Because reading takes us into a whole different mental state and, and really undermines the, the clarity and the presence, the mindfulness that we're cultivating. And I'd also just invite you to be very um, very conscious, really, of keeping notes of, you know, if you do write a journal or you write some notes, just to, to keep it to a fairly minimal level. Um, I remember being on retreat here once many years ago and kind of ignoring this advice the first couple of days and then realizing all I had done was written down a, a list of the minutiae of my mental states, which were already out of date and... and really was just kind of keeping something fixed rather than just watching it come and go. Um, but, you know, that's, in a way, that's down to your, your judgment of what you might feel you do want to, to, to make a note of. You might also just want to be a little aware of nonverbal communication. So sometimes when we're in silence, there can be a a wish to make eye contact and, and connect just to kind of reassure ourselves that we're still there. And there's no rule against doing that, but just to notice, just to have a sense of noticing who or what you're looking at and why. It might be uh, looking for connection, it might be reading the back of soya milk cartons, all the things that we, we do to slightly escape from just being present to our experience. So there's a lot of richness just in the practice of silence, actually, uh, that we can explore. Um, and I think this can, can ultimately begin to really cultivate through our practice and through the silence a, a sense of a stillness in the mind even then in the midst of talking and activity in life that we can have a thread of silence. One um, teacher of mine used to call it the riverbed of silence in the mind, that, that speech and action can kind of come out of and go back to. It's another way of describing mindfulness in a way. And the Buddha himself, he was called Shakyamuni. Which Shakya is his tribe, and Muni means the sage, the sage of the Shakyan tribe. But Muni, uh, I believe, literally means the silent one. Now, the Buddha taught for 45 years and there are books and books of what he is said to have said. But underneath that, there's a sense of a natural disposition to be silent unless there is something really to, to say and to communicate. Uh, so that's probably far too much to say about silence. It feels slightly um, um, inconsistent. The medium is not the message. Um, but... Uh, 
So, um, yeah, just wish you a, a, a very, very nourishing and enriching retreat. So I'd like to very much add my <coughs> welcome to you all and, um, and really hope that you do feel very welcome here at Guy House, whether it's your first time or, or you've been here many times, that, uh, that you really know that you are very welcome and you can feel that and relax into that welcome. Um, just a, a, a small piece to, small but important piece to add to, to uh, um, what's been said already, uh, and to talk a little bit about the ethical guidelines. In a way, um, a lot of you are familiar with this, but it's part of, if you like, what binds us together and holds us together and makes the space together very lovely and very loving. So together in this community, Chris uh, alluded to, we're a community together for a week. And what is it that makes it feel like a community? And what is it that will support our practice? And not just my practice, but the practice of those around me. So that each person's being here is nourishing the being here of everyone else, and in turn being nourished by those others. Such an important part of what uh, holds all this space together actually makes it beautiful. So very easily when we talk about ethics and ethical guidelines, we can have a sense of, oh, there are rules and there are these five rules. Yet we could look at it that way. One can also look at it as a movement of uh, a gesture, gestures of, of kindness, of respect, of caring for oneself and for each other, and caring for each other's practice, each other's hearts, each other's well-being. So, uh, many of you know these, but just to go through them briefly, um, the first one is to try to refrain from harming, uh, willfully harming other beings. So really to take care for the other forms of life that are around a guy house, insects, etc. And we could turn it around and cast it in a positive light as well. So that would be, what is it to move through the days, to be in the days together, thinking and acting kindly to oneself <coughs> to each other. And the second one, uh, to try not to take what is not given so that people can leave things around here and know that they're safe. Don't have to carry my whatever it is around with me all the time. We're creating uh, an environment, an enclosure, if you like, that really feels safe. And that's so important. When we feel safe in ourselves and when others feel safe, then something can begin to open. Something can trust a little more. The heart senses that safety and begins to open like a flower. If we don't feel safe, if we don't feel trust, that, that actually isn't possible. There's something very beautiful in these precepts. It's not really about rules. It's about, it's about love, about respect, about care, about support. And again, we could turn that one around and cast it in a positive 
uh, refrain and say, um, what, what would it be to practice generosity? And again, like little moments of kindness through the day, little moments of generosity together here. What will that look like as a community together in silence over the days? How does that play out? How does that get expressed? What beauty does that bring into the field? Uh, third precept is around our sexuality. And it really means taking care uh, not to engage in abusive sexual behavior. Now here on the retreat, together, or together, we take a kind of, for the period of six or seven days, we take, um, uh, we move into a period of abstinence around sexual, of, of willful sexual activity. And again, this has to do with simpl- simplicity, simplifying. It's not that there's anything, of course, wrong with that. It's actually a very beautiful part of the being. But what is it to just leave that consciously, leave it aside, and open, maybe something else can open. Maybe something else has space in that absence. And then, also for for many people, it's a safer space when there isn't that, um, not being hassled in that way by someone else. Perhaps. Uh, The fourth one is around speech, and probably the most difficult of the precepts for most people. Uh, Jenny's already spoke on on this retreat together, we're just taking, uh, we're engaging in what's called noble silence together. So it simplifies that precept. And the fifth precept, the fifth, uh, if you like, training guideline is around what we take in. Uh, primarily to the body in terms of intoxicants or substances that cloud the mind, dull the mind, desensitize or uh, overly agitate. So all drugs and alcohol, this is really a drug and alcohol free zone completely for these days. And again, we can relate to that as a rule, but what would it be to turn it around and really see the, the beauty of the kindness in that gesture, in that movement, in that commitment that we take together? Partly for our own minds and hearts, this allows uh, a calming, but also a sensitizing. This path takes, uh, or you could say this path involves the cultivation of sensitivity. Deeper and deeper levels of sensitivity are opening. And we need to take care of what we take in, so that that can flower, that can open. Simplifying, respecting, caring, loving, engendering a space of of trust and care for each other. So important for our own opening and for everyone else here. (coughs) So, wishing you a, a lovely and fruitful retreat. Okay, so we're going to end the evening with just a short sitting, appreciating that indeed many of you have had long journeys and are tired. But before we do that, if it's helpful to you, just take a moment to stand, to stretch your legs.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.